Gilmore Girls is a show which has earned its place in our cultural lexicon. Even if you haven't seen it, you definitely know something about it. The Gilmore Girls are a fast-talking, coffee-loving, pop-culture-spouting mother and daughter duo. Although the show ended its run in 2007, it has retained a large and loyal fan base. Never underestimate the persuasive powers of Lorelai Gilmore. The show's introduction to Netflix in 2014 sparked a whole new bout of fans. Get excited! Gilmore Girls is coming back! And even generated enough buzz to award the show a Netflix revival. TV Line is reporting Netflix has closed a deal with Warner Brothers to bring back the classic series for four 90-minute episodes. But the show's introduction to Netflix sparked another idea, one which has grown into another pop culture phenomenon. This show is the manliest thing you can you watch. Hell yeah! Meet Demi, meet Kevin. Together, they're the Gilmore Guys. Two guys that came together to podcast about their love for Gilmore Girls. I grew up really loving the show. Uh, ever since I was a kid, it was always one of my favorite shows. And when I saw it was coming on Netflix a couple of years ago, I thought it'd be fun to revisit it in a podcast setting. This is Kevin Porter. He's an editor in Los Angeles, and he's also one half of the Gilmore Guys. So I kind of tweeted and posted on my Facebook, half kidding, half not. Oh, I want to start a podcast called Gilmore Guys. Who wants to do it with me, like co-host or be a guest? Just kind of like joking, also kind of not joking. But then Demi responded, and I was like, well, Demi's awesome and hilarious, and I'm a big fan of his. So, Demi Ajuibe is a television writer in L.A. For me, I would say that a lot of my interest in comedy led me to doing this. Um, I think that most of my interest in doing this sort of show was just realizing that it was it didn't really have any rules. And so doing a show like this with Kevin meant that we could do something that combines interest in pop culture and television and generally just watching TV and sort of making commentary on it that I had loved seeing other people do. And so... I figured doing it myself would also be pretty exciting and fun. Um, and I, I mean, I went to school for film. I now work in that industry. It's sort of something that's enveloped my life. It's just a thing I've always loved. So talking about it for three hours a week didn't seem like too much of a stretch. So then we got together and we had been, you know, friends before, but then we got together and kind of had a lunch about it. And just talked about the actual viability of doing it and whether it would be fun, whether it wouldn't be fun, and just, like, all the realities of it. And uh, not not anything like, okay, so phase one, we start small. Phase two, we start touring the country. <laughs> phase three, like, that was never on the agenda or table. But just, you know, seeing what it would take to make a show like this and how fun it could be. And then after that lunch conversation, we recorded our first episode a couple of days after that, and then we put out our first episode on October the 1st, right when, right when it came on Netflix. Kevin and Demi turned this passing podcast idea into an incredible journey. They've recorded over 200 hours of show so far, going episode by episode through the Gilmore Girls. They've also toured the country, recording live shows for sold-out crowds. When they came to Chicago, they sold out Talia Hall twice. Their passion, the growth of their show, their creative spark, and their wild success in podcasting are inspiring. 
I wanted to explore the evolution and power of podcasts with Kevin and Demi. You guys are part of the HeadGum Podcasting Network, and many of your guests have their own podcasts. Describe this growing podcasting community, because I think in the past, I don't know, what, like six or seven years, it's exploded. Yeah, so in L.A. in particular, there's a few, you know, fragments of it. And I would say in New York as well, like there's different fragments of it. And it's kind of like any other community where there's certain groups and certain cliques and there's the certain people and groups of friends that work and hang out with each other over and over again. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with the rise of the legitimacy of podcasting. There's been a few waves, you know, like mm-hmm. but in the sense of, you know, Mark Marin starts WTF in his garage and then that show becomes a huge hit. And then almost like when Dane Cook, for, you know, when he became really popular as a stand-up, then that was just good news for all stand-ups. It's just like a rising tide thing. So it's the same thing with podcasts. And so, you know, so there is a wave with that. And then there was just like this rise of this really exciting time in L.A. and New York. But for us, we're more familiar with L.A. specifically where people in comedy, stand-ups, improvisers, were just starting to do their own stuff and put out their own thing. Guys like Scott Ackerman and Jimmy Pardo and Chris Hardwick were just, okay, I'm not going to wait on X Network to give me this much space. I'm just going to do it and make it myself. And so that started happening more and more. And then it just has kept rising in legitimacy with networks like Nerdist or Earwolf or when Mark Marin has the president in his garage for WCF mm-hmm. or when there's these huge kind of blockbuster cultural moments like serial season one hitting and then everyone's just, you know, becoming introduced to the idea of podcasting because of that one show. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like, it comes in waves. I think it's just going to keep growing and growing in legitimacy, even to the point now where I think it has where uh, Barack Obama doing it is going to, I think it'll be looked back historically as a big moment for podcasting because even the, the some of the presidential candidates now running in 2016 are doing podcasts. Like that's a stop now on the press and media tour. It's media tour. It's not just like 60 minutes to meet the press. Now it's like, oh, Hillary Clinton did an episode of Another Round, which is this very fun and funny podcast Mm-hmm. hosted by these two girls on the BuzzFeed network. And that's just part of the game now. So I think that'll just keep growing and increasing in stature like that. Hopefully not to a point where it becomes regulated and then, you know, imposed upon with different things like is the case with a lot of TV shows and even YouTube. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of a great time right now where it's popular enough where people can cultivate audiences, but not so popular that big corporations and other, you know, big entities that might be copyright police or content police are getting involved in the mix. It's like in a real sweet spot right now. Your guys' show in particular, you've recorded over 200 hours. I, I remember you saying, like, you've recorded more hours of your podcast than hours of Gilmore Girls exist. <laughs> Now. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah, I I can give you the exact total right now, but Ooh. Gilmore this Girls has to be like the three hundreds now, right? <laughs> well, not quite. I mean, Gilmore Girls, Gilmore Girls was one hundred and fifty three episodes, so you know, on an average of forty two minutes an episode, 
it comes out to about 107, 108 hours. So for Gilmore Guys, we have put out, as of recording this, uh, as of talking to you right now, 152 episodes for a total of 235 hours of content. So it's more than double at this point, even with, you know, the exact same number of episodes, which I guess speaks to the freedom of the medium and the form. So why do you think people are so drawn to your podcast and to Gilmore Girls? Well, I think actually there might be the similar strands of appeal with the podcast and with the TV show is a function of the medium a function of the medium of podcasting is that it's very casual, very intimate in that it's hang it it feels like hanging out like most of the best podcasts do. You forget that it's people talking in front of microphones and you just kind of enter into this context in your mind where it's just like you're talking with people, you're talking with friends, or overhearing a conversation someone's having at the table next to you, et cetera. So I think people respond to that, and we really try to capture that tone on the show. And then conversely on the TV show, I think people just love hanging out with those characters. Gilmore Girls isn't a really plot-driven show at all. The, the story, the appeal of Gilmore Girls is never, I wonder what's going to happen next. How's Lorelai going to get out of this one? It's always about the character driving the story first. So I think in that sense, we're both kind of, we function as comforts. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's saying too much for our show, but like we function in a, in a casual sense. Like we're not going to put you on edge or stress you out in the way like, you know, a show like Breaking Bad would. And same with Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls is a very pleasant, lovely, warm, comforting blanket of a TV show. My name is Christine. I'm 23, and I'm a working musician and a music teacher. Gilmore Girls brings us all together because it's nostalgic and it's very relatable. And I'm definitely a Jets fan. I think he's best out of the three of Dean and Logan. So I guess that kind of brings us into like talking about the f- the fandom surrounding this show. So. I was wondering, do you guys have a rough percentage of like Dean, Jess, Logan camps, like, and or are there any patterns you've noticed about like who's for who? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's definitely predominantly Jess, right? Um, which has just been a whirlwind uh, for us in terms of us really not knowing who we are on team on who whose team we're on. So that was very interesting to find out that it's almost unanimously Jess, but then there's the uh, rare Team Logan stragglers, and then there's the even rarer Team Dean stragglers, who are always uh, interesting to hear from and often include the actual cast themselves. So that's pretty crazy. But yeah, it's predominantly Jess. So why do you think people are so dedicated to these characters and these relationships? Like People go crazy for them. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of it has to do with projecting yourself on the show, kind of in the way the show functions as comfortability and hangout time, like with your old friends. And that's the sensation for a lot of people. Uh, What we hear from, from a lot of listeners after shows and then via email and et cetera is, 
oh, my mom and I, we're just like Lorelai and Rory. Or, or like you just said, oh, I've totally dated a Dean, I've dated a Jess, I've dated a blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it's a show where unlike a lot of shows that are, like, more fantastical or removed from our world or high concept, no one says, like, oh, I'm being such a Jacob in Twilight right now or, or what have you. Or, like, oh, God, <laughs> my, I dated a, a Skyler last time or a Walter White, blah, 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 blah. It's a show where people like projecting on, you know, the show on themselves and then vice versa. I think that's a lot of the appeal is how Jane Espenson talked about this on our podcast. She was one of the writers for the show in season four. And it's a very reflective show. It's a show that seems to reflect a lot of, you know, even though it's fantastical and heightened in its whirlwind dialogue and pop culture references, the core relationships of the show are resonant because they're reflective. You know, even for me, I could say, oh, this relationship with Emily and Lorelai, that reminds me of my mom with my own grandmother, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's always mm-hmm. at least some point of entry for everybody where, it, oh, it's, this feels like the real world to me. So, Demi, since you've been, like, you started watching it, so recently, do you feel a super big connection with the characters just because of, like, this podcast? Or how do you feel about them? It's funny. Uh, I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I sometimes feel like I have no connection to a single person on this show. And it's weird because I don't feel any emotional resonance with them. And truth be told, I often think they are horrible people, but I still love watching them. And I am so deeply invested in their choices. And I get, like frustrated when characters make bad choices and I get really happy when they make choices that I consider like wise and whatnot. So that's been the sort of thing that I don't know how to grasp in that I literally like literally six seasons. There's maybe been one storyline that I'm like, Oh, Oh, there we go. That's me. And then it, it gets dropped like minutes later, but yeah, it's weird. I think maybe it just has to do with how I grew up not watching the show and uh, watching it in a different time means I see different things and I'm sort of watching it with the eyes of someone who's grown up on a different cultural landscape of television. My name is Katie, I'm 25, and I'm a locations assistant, and I'm a filmmaker. I think what it is about Gilmore Girls that brings people together is that you very rarely get to be on a show um, small town life that's done in a way that's real and also in a way that's like, you know, you're laughing with um, all the characters, you're not... Uh, judging them. I think small towns are often portrayed as just weird and people forget a lot of the like love and stuff that goes into living in a place like that. And also I think a lot of little details escape people when they're, you know, walking and talking, you don't realize it, but there's a lot of long shots, there's a lot of really cool shots. I would say bookstore Jess specifically would be my vote. What are the most interesting niches of the Gilmore Girls fandom that you guys have come across? Like, I know there's not really a team shell, but, like, things like that. Like, are there any weird where you're like, oh, I didn't know anybody was really fixated on that character? I, uh, well, the, 
I think the most surprising niche is just the ones I would actually listen to a podcast about it, truth be told. Like, we just thought it was a fun format. And I, even as someone who is quote-unquote a fan and watcher of the show for so long, I had no idea the kind of the the enormity of of the fandom that we were tapping into, you know, sort of on accident in doing the show. But as far as niches go, I think, I don't know, and Demi can speak to this too, but, uh, you know, it is, and maybe this is, like, really myopic and ignorant of us to say, but it's surprising when, like, you know, guys come to the show and they're not there, you know, with, oh, my wife dragged me along or my girlfriend, you know, dragged me. Where it's like guys alone or bros with other bros. We see a few gaggle of bros at Gilmore Guys shows, you know. Not often. It's definitely not the the majority, but it does happen sometimes. Uh, I remember a group of bros at our show in Washington, D.C. that came, and that was very fun to see them. But, uh, you know, that's surprising to see. And I think... Reflective of the staying power and nature of the show, that the show, even though it is niche, that it still has appeal outside of the perceived sort of like gender construct of like Gilmore Girls. It's for girls. Only girls can watch it. And it's nice to see, I think, too, also people of the older generation, not just people who like, oh, you must have been 20 when you were watching the show and now you're 35, but people who are like in their 40s and 50s and 60s and also really young people listening, you know, listening and watching it. We discovered it for the first time on Netflix. But as far as the most notable niche within that group, I, I'm i not sure. I'm not totally sure. I guess maybe the guys. I don't know. Okay. Do you have anything to add, Demi? Uh, in terms of niche groups, I'm not really sure. Uh, I was trying to think of like, is there anyone who's like, I'm a bad bat and kirk shipper or anything um no i can't think of too many niche groups but yeah it's always it's always a delight to see how many men are like you know doing the gilmore guys thing isn't really niche because there are a ton of gilmore guys and it's it's not that i'd never thought that it's just i never thought about that so it's it's always cool to see you know how many men get active and involved in the community too how intense do your fans get? Do they send you anything weird in the mail? <laughs> no, they, you know, I mean, truthfully, uh, to answer the first question, very, very intense. <laughs> to answer the second question, no, because we don't give our address out to weirdos. Or, okay, or like <laughs> email, like, what's the, do you guys get tweeted strange things? You must. Yes. Yeah, after, after, I mean, after I think a certain size of audience, I think it's almost like common or standard to get a certain percentage of like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. What is this? But um, I, it's definitely not the majority at all. And people have actually been very lovely about sending us uh, one of the early experiences with us kind of realizing, oh, what what are we doing here? Is we mentioned offhand, and I don't even remember the context. We mentioned offhand, like, oh, would love a cross stitch sent to us in the mail or something like that mm-hmm. on on the show on the podcast. And as you know, as of now, we probably have 
upwards of 20 to 30 cross stitches that people have sent us in the mail. I like whether it's the logo for our show or a reference from the show or a quote. People have been very lovely at sending really amazing fan art. There's a woman that came up to us in our lives after our live show in Dallas. Actually, the same woman who was proposed to at that show, 601, who had who had made us an Etch-a-Sketch drawing of Luke's diner because, like, she specialized in Etch-a-Sketch art. And she made one of Luke's diner and froze it and gave it to us. So, so, like, there's this gorgeous little Etch-a-Sketch piece of Luke's diner, which is so lovely and wonderful. But, yeah, I think any time, and especially with uh, TV shows, because TV shows really, uh, TV shows engender... I think a wide breadth of of fandom. Or it's like casual fans, like, oh, you know, I watch it with my mom. I love it. It's my favorite show, you know, and people who just kind of check in here and there to people who are really intense about it, to people for whom the relationships are akin to, like, real-life relationships to real people, to people who write fan fiction about it, to people, you know, to people for whom it's, like, the most important thing and show in the world and, and their life revolves around it. Like, it... it Tapping into any sort of fandom, I think that's especially true for a lot of TV shows that are like this, that engender these kind of really loyal audiences like Buffy or, you know, Parks and Recreation or, you know, shows like that where people who love the show love the show and get, you know, borderline obsessed with it. So, you know, there's a little bit of that. We definitely don't see it that much at our live shows. Our live shows are just overwhelmingly lovely, thoughtful, sweet, wonderful people who who we talk to after the show and and you know come by and say hi. So that's that's always super nice to uh, to interact with. So lucky, I'm twenty three and I work at GameStop as a game advisor. Growing up, it was just my mom and I, and we would watch the show after school together, and we always related to the characters' trouble. We loved the banter, but most of all, we loved the relationship between them and the other townspeople. It was a community of people coming together, all being weird and loving life and just having fun together, and that was something that appealed to us. Uh, for Rory's boyfriend, the switch I loved the most, I would have to say Jess. He was rebellious, cute, and intelligent, read all the books, listened to great music. Even though he didn't necessarily treat her well throughout the show while they were together, he took the time to get his stuff together, his life, and accomplish something and be successful. The reason why I found out about Gilmore Guys is actually because of my friend Rachel. Uh, we bonded over the show the first time we hung out. We actually watched Gilmore Girls and just talked all evening and spent time together. She turned me on to it because she knew I would love it, and I am forever grateful to her. What were you guys honestly expecting out of this podcast when you began, and how have your lives changed because of it? I was expecting negative feedback and <laughs> and not much else from it. I mean, sincerely, I was expecting maybe a few hundred people would listen to it in an email or two over the course of doing it in its entirety. And I think we were expecting to maybe be done right about now, like March or April of 2016. Mm -hmm. But it's just changed so much since the show started and then the show's coming back and, and all these things. Uh, and I think the the second part of the question is how, how have our lives changed? Mm -hmm. 
I think they've, you know, and Demi can speak to it too. I think they've both changed for the better and the show has provided, you know, like career opportunity, like, you know, being able to get different jobs and talk with different people and, and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I think the opportunity that's so valuable uh, and wonderful for both of us is to have something that's both ours and and that we both have total control over and learning how to make something we love first and then make something that other people like as well. And just the just the practice and the kind of learning experience of doing live shows on the regular has been invaluable. Like, not everybody gets this opportunity at all to figure out, like, oh, what kind of, how, how do I do on stage? I don't know. You know, it, it's been so, and this is like the majority of our performance experience now, too, is these shows, you know. And, you know, we've obviously done a bunch of different things on the side here and there. But I think the, the invaluable experience of being able to go up and do a show and figure out how to host and talk to people and, and talk to an audience and take care of them and, and doing all these things has just been, like, really invaluable. So I think from the time we started to now, we've, probably, we've only been doing live shows for the last 10 months or 11 months, I guess. Our first show was with Jessica Sinclair back in April of last year. Mm-hmm. So even between then and now, I feel like we've progressed. The shows have gotten better and tighter and and been more things to more people. So, and I think our lives have changed too. In, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess that's as good a way to put it as I can. Demi, uh, for me, I, I mean, I don't really have too much different, too many different things to say. I didn't expect a lot going into this. I thought it would sort of stay a hobby for me uh, for a while and then it sort of blew up and became like a second job, but it's like a really fun job that I don't mind doing. It allows me to travel and it's literally just me talking for as long as I can. So it's a delight and it's been so wonderful to make friendships both with people in the comedy community and with people who are just fans of Gilmore Girls and reach out and just talk to us. And it's really cool to sort of see a community blossom around us trying to create a community around a different show and it's such a wonderful experiment and it's been super fun and it's just been like predominantly positive it's wonderful so yeah that's another cool thing too is the community that's come out of it that already existed for the show Mm -hmm. but then there's like a group of people who have become friends just through their mutual interest in the podcast and they'll travel together there's a group that came from you know, the South and from Brooklyn, and they all flew to Dallas to come to that show. And then they've become like friends outside of the show and continue those relationships. And that's very cool to see. Where do you guys find the art in podcasting? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> the art in podcasting. What do you think, Demi? Uh. I think the art in podcasting is sort of the weird social aspect it brings out, despite being, by definition, the least social form of media, in that it's just often people talking in a room and then cutting it and sort of controlling what is released about it and then putting it out there. It's 
literally it's less live than radio, but there's an art to it because by nature of it being on the internet, it becomes so accessible and easy for anyone to do, which means it becomes easy and accessible for anyone to listen to. So I think it's just, it's like community radio in that aspect. Uh, I think the art of podcasts in general is just the sort of same as the art of painting where it used to be a kind of thing that you know was considered a high art and was like for the upper class and whatnot but then it became accessible to a medium where everyone can do it and you know now painting is taught in classes in school children do it all the time and it's considered impressive and that's us we're the children in the scenario but uh, i think that with radio sort of being the original form of podcast and having that sort of barrier to where it's like you can only do it if you have a network or you get in line with someone like that the art of podcasting now means that anyone can take that medium and run with it uh, i think it's the art of a lot of things in this age you know how television sort of became just anyone creating short form content on youtube and how um you know just writing in general became you know start tweeting or write a blog or something like that i think the biggest art of podcasts is how it's become more accessible to an audience in both the way we consume it and the way we make it. Thank you to Kevin and Demi. Hear them every week on the Gilmore Guys podcast. Also, thanks to the crew at Talia Hall. You can see some of our photos of the live show Gilmore Guys event on our website. As always, thank you to WGN Radio, Hard Times Productions, and Tim Apuli. Find more Artistic License on WGN Plus and at ArtisticLicensePodcast.com. Also, be sure to look us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Rachel Woodall. Until next time, thanks for listening. Oh, and by the way, you can hear my full conversation with Kevin and Demi, which was almost an hour long, next week up on WGN Plus and our website. Again, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>